Medicare for all. Your bros can suck my balls. Fuck your reply, guys. Please don't fuck your reply, guys. Just listen to reply, guys. Hey, it's Kate. I just wanted to let you know that we are taking a tiny break this week. We will be back this weekend with the Patreon episode, and we'll be back to our regular recording schedule next Wednesday. But for now, please enjoy this very, very special Unlocked content from our Patreon. I was so excited about this interview with Cat Bob Magura, and I really wanted to make sure that everyone got to hear it. So please give it a listen. She's absolutely fantastic. Hello, and welcome back to Reply Guys. I am Kate Willett, and I'm really excited because we have a pretty unconventional guest this week for our Patreon edition. She is just so cool. She wrote a book um, that I am really excited to check out uh, that is like a self-help book, but from the perspective of... uh, what Edgar Allan Poe would do. It's called Poe for Your Problems, Uncommon Advice from History's Least Likely Self-Help Guru. Welcome to the show, Kat. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I'm I'm really stoked to talk to you about this book because I've always been a fan of Poe. Uh, what a what a dark, sad weirdo. <laughs> what made you think that this was like a good source of like self-help? I mean, precisely for those reasons dark, sad, unrelenting struggle in his life. I've been living with this thought that Poe is an existential hero for so long that uh, it's hard for me to get back to my other, you know, a a view of Poe that's not conditioned by those things. But I think it almost, it speaks to what we expect from self-help in general. And our expectation is weird. Like, why are we reading the stories from supposed you know, successes. I think it's the failures that can teach us so much more. We're all kind of stuck in these situations. I mean, granted, some people have it easier than others, but we need self-help for people who feel like dying, who are caught in bad or awful situations, who just need to kind of be encouraged to keep coping and keep going on and not fed some false message that things are going to be better or that positive thinking is the only, you know, way to cure your cancer or whatever. Um, yeah. Positive thinking is the only way to, to cure your cancer is a, is a pretty d- dumb thing because usually what uh, cures people's cancer is is medical care that unfortunately right. is you often would think not it's... accessible in this country. I am, I am, okay, like, we, we've talked a lot on the show about, like, self-help as a concept and Mm. how like it's often offered to to us like for example you know during the quarantine like at the beginning I remember saying like you know just seeing all these articles that were like yeah hey everyone um go for a walk find a craft and it's like no what would help people be less stressed out right now is if you gave everyone enough money to live that is what would actually help and you know, I think that, like, there is, there's just in, you know, in the United States, there's such an emphasis on kind of, like, mentally pulling oneself up by one's uh-huh. bootstraps, like, uh, you know, uh, at the expense of, like, 
solutions for to things that would like really actually make people genuinely feel less stressed out like having enough money like having access to medical care without stress but that being said like you know given that we are in the situation that we're in in this uh very 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 imperfect culture like i i do think that you know it, it makes sense to to think about um, how, you know, how to, how to live, uh, as best we can and as happily as we can. Um, I know your book has reckoned also with like capitalism and mental health. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about, about that and what you discovered in this process. Sure. I mean, Poe's biography has so much to tell us about what it's like to be a creator, an artist, a writer, in a marketplace that doesn't reward you for your work. Uh, one of the reasons that I was attracted to the subject so much is because if you situate Poe in the context of his time in this incredibly unjust economy, it speaks to our own time. Um, I think we all have the feeling that our work is not rewarded and we have to keep working anyway. And I'm talking about, you know, day jobs not paying enough, but I'm also talking about, you know, what rates are for freelance writers. I know from my own life that there's not a living wage. Uh, so Poe is not divorced from those things at all. He was definitely struggling with all of that. A lot of the uh, scholarship on Poe focuses on his role in the economy of like Jacksonian America. We even know exactly how, well, more or less exactly how much money he made from all his literary work. It was um, in the amount of the day, $6,200 and adjusted for inflation, that's roughly $200,000 for Over a, a lifetime. 20, yeah, for his entire oeuvre. And in a way, that's the most depressing thing ever because you're like, it's Edgar Allan Poe, he's fundamental, he, he's the backbone of American literature, arguably of world literature, a major figure, a genius, and yet he made nothing. Sometimes he and his family were literally starving. Um, and that makes me feel less alone and also, <laughs> I'm not starving, I'm not making the claiming, claim to be starving, but it makes me feel less alone in my own struggles to monetize my output. And I think everybody has that same thing. It's good to hear that that's an older struggle than we knew. Um, and that even geniuses have to find some way to cope with this. Not that any of us would want this if we were choosing the economic order in our ideal world, none of us would choose this. But I'm you know this is obviously like uh <laughs> this is a big topic because you, you just spent a, a book's length of time writing about it but you know i was wondering kind of like in, in your process of thinking about poe's life and you know what lessons we can take away from it about how to be happier like what are a couple things that really stand out to you I think that using negative emotions in your work, not bright siding relentlessly in your work, but going deep into it and being real with what your struggles are at the same time, it doesn't have to be divorced from craft. I think Post shows us that you can do both those things at once. Um, 
he his involvement in some various literary scams is also inspiring in a sense because he also had to do hack work. I think we should all feel I think we might forgive ourselves for the hack work that we have to do. Hack work like H A C K. Yeah, hack work like literal, you know, I don't know how you earn your living, but uh, very few people obviously can make it from their artistic work alone or their creator work alone. So whatever else you do, I think Poe's example encourages us to just accept, well, maybe not accept, but understand that that's been a part of life for even some of the greatest figures in literary history. Um, One thing that he said that really has changed my life (laughs) in a way is he he said uh, that if you want to change the world with your writing, that the task is very simple, um, but that <laughs> it's also impossible, essentially. I won't quote it too much at length because it's not that quippy, but anyway, he spoke to how difficult it is to do great work um, and even that he even struggled with that makes me feel less alone and it also makes it gives us a standard to try to work to that you're always Mm -hmm. kind of pushing yourself in spite of the horribleness um while acknowledging the horribleness being there i am really wanting to know more about these literary scams what even is a literary scam (laughs) it's such a bizarre story uh i'll try to keep the details down to a minimum, but basically, uh, just like millennials have, and Gen Z have had to live through like the financial crisis of 2008 and so on. So Poe came of age amidst a horrible recession. It was the worst, it was the panic of 1837 and it was the worst economic crisis until the depression a century later. Uh, so absolutely terrible, tens of, thousand pe- tens of thousands of people losing their livelihoods and whatnot and Poe was no different. Uh, At the time, he was trying to trade up one of his magazine jobs and move to New York and kind of make it in New York in the same way we hope to sometimes. Uh, Anyway, the economic crisis struck and he was basically unable to find any job or any freelance work of any kind. This is when his family was almost literally starving. And so he got involved in this scam to do with a manual on seashells of all things. Oh my God, that's so funny. It's it's like an, he's like an Amway guy, basically, kind of. I mean, (laughs) he's like a, it's kind of, it's funny because his obsession was plagiarism, but in this case, he deliberately plagiarized something for 50 bucks, put his own name on a book that someone wanted to republish and recoup the profits of uh, without involving a specific publisher. So basically, Poe agreed to plagiarize a work in exchange for money, despite his own hatred of plagiarism. Um, And I don't, I'm not trying to say that we should all feel better about plagiarizing stuff. Absolutely not. But the fact that even Poe was involved in that kind of scandal, uh, I find deeply encouraging in a sense. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that like, I mean, it's obviously plagiarism's not not good, right? But like, right. It, it is. <laughs> I think it is really easy, like especially within, you know, as an artist uh, in 
in capitalism. Um, it's, it's easy to kind of buy into this narrative, especially right now, that, like, everybody who is making great stuff, like, not only do they wake up at 6 a.m. and, like, just, you know, get right down to business, but they're never rude to anybody, they remember everyone's name, and, like, the idea that, like, you have to be, you know, really just 100% on in all ways to have any kind of you know, career, but, but even to produce quality work, you know, it's, uh, yeah, to me, to me, that mythology has, has been really psychologically hard sometimes. Cause it's like, you know, it, it's like, yeah, you're going to forget someone's name, you know, like you're going <laughs> right. to have like, you're, you're going to uh, sleep with someone that you shouldn't at some point, you know what I mean? Like we're all just yeah. making mistakes. So, you know, <laughs> That's absolutely it. I don't understand why we don't have a broader acknowledgement of, A, the fact that no one's life is perfect, no matter what they're saying on Instagram or posting, rather. And that's not even... It's such an obvious lie. You know what I mean? No one is pulling off all those things. I simply don't believe it. If they're telling me, I don't believe them. Um... And Poe, by being a gigantic mess and a success at the same time, I find that to be such a more accessible message. Yeah, I think so, too. What was the deal with this guy's, like, romantic life? (sighs) Right, where where even to begin? Um, He seems kind of of a freak bitch to me. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) he's got those vibes, you know? Oh, you're (laughs) not wrong. He had a mommy complex like no other. I think, you know maybe we've all dated this guy, but uh, because he lost his mother early on, he was always sort of like wanting women to mother him. And he married his cousin, Virginia, who he had known since she was a little child and he'd lived in the same house with her. And he married her when she was 13, which sounds unreal in its badness. Um, having spent so long on Poe biography, and this is the, can, consensus of most Poe biographers uh, is that they did not consummate the marriage for several years because Poe was being cognizant of her age. He was in his late 20s at the time. Now, and how, how old was she again? So She was 13 years old. Oh, damn. Yeah. Her mother consented to the marriage, and to all appearances, the marriage was a happy one, but it's not true or accurate that 13-year-olds routinely got married in the 1830s. It was it was enough of a headline that Poe told his friends she was older than she actually was. And granted, that sounds so horrible. Um, but my read on the situation is that he was desperate for a family because of everyone he had lost. Like by this point in his life, he'd lost his biological parents. He'd lost his foster parents. Um, he'd lost his brother. And so there was this situation where it seemed like he was going to lose his cousin and her mother too. And so they kind of formed a family instead of splitting off in different directions. Anyway, yes, a huge, huge fucking mess. Uh, The love life. And then his later relationships with women after his wife's death were, if anything, even messier and weirder. Um, he was kind of telling them all the same thing at once. And the, the weird what thing was about he, what was his line? What was he saying? 
you're the only one for me. Uh, the others are nothing to me. And he's saying that to like three different women simultaneously. Uh, it's weird though. His, like his motiva- motivation was not sexual. It was emotional and weird um, and super, you know, needy and intense, but not really like, there's no suggestion he was actually trying to have sex with these people, if you know what I mean. I do, because I've been with a number of uh, goth fuckboys myself. And oh, okay. Yeah, it's never about the sex. It is always about mommy. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. So you know yeah. exactly what we're talking about. That is it in a nutshell. Yeah. Just, you know, sometimes you just want a lady with cool titties to hold you while you cry. And... Uh, yeah, you know, I'm 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 hoping to 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 work out some more for myself at some point, but you know, <laughs> we've all been there. Um, so you know, uh, I know that a big part of this book is is talking about how like the study of Edgar Allan Poe has helped you understand your own depression. If you feel comfortable talking about it, like what insight did this give you? Yeah, I mean, even the idea for the book came from the worst depression of my life. I've had chronic depression since I was a kid, and it kind of comes and goes almost now. I'm like touching wood, don't even want to mention its name in a way because you don't want to summon it. But anyway, uh, when I experienced really terrible depression a couple of years ago to the point where I like, couldn't eat, couldn't sleep, Uh, just crying in my bathtub all the time, had to take mental health leave from work. I don't know what it was, but I had some intuition and I started rereading Poe for the first time in years. And the thing that jumped out at me is that he was so aware of the pain of the human condition and he wasn't lying about the darkness and how awful things can be. And that was such a comforting presence. I think other people who are depressed can probably have that experience too of reading him in a dark place and having it really speak to them. Um, it also shows like the deeper you go into his biography, the more you're like, oh my God, his depression was completely justified because he lived in this deeply unjust market economy that didn't reward him. Um, because he, I mean, I'm kind of joking and kind of not, he had no health insurance no one in his life had health insurance and they all died of preventable disease. Um, Anyway, despite the way his life was endlessly shitty, he still persevered and did his work and not despite the depression, but almost because of it, which I think that is such a grounded thing to absorb when you are in a dark place. I mean, it still speaks to me and I'm not depressed at the moment. Yeah, I was thinking about it when you were talking about it. It's like particularly the fucking health insurance shit. I mean, like so many people that I love, like do not have the medical care that they need. And, you know, I have experienced great loss in my life as a result of that. We've talked about it on the show a lot. Um, but, you know, like, yeah, I don't, like, there's there, just, like, the, the challenge of, like, figuring out, like, getting your basic needs met in a hyper-capitalist society is so fucking 
demoralizing and we definitely yes. want to work to to change it that's what like you know that that's really really important but like i definitely think that creativity can be one really beautiful way to take care of ourselves like in the meantime you know until to, to see it as like a source of potential joy and catharsis and self-expression like instead of just like you know here is like another way that i have to kind of make myself appealing to, to the market you know um that i think it's helpful sometimes you know Absolutely. I think that's so true. I'm, so I'm doing all these interviews for the book. And I guess because I'm a woman, I'm getting this like, how do you practice self-care while promoting a book and having a full-time job? Or like, what's your secret for work-life balance? Which I'm like, I wouldn't be talking to you if I had work-life balance, man. Like, how do you, how does anything happen by parts of our lives being grotesquely out of whack with the others? I mean, even while we're talking now, I'm hoping my <laughs> my husband's got the baby, and I'm hoping the baby doesn't scream too loud. We were any. This is the second mom podcast this week, so we can oh, deal no with this. Kidding. We can either edit out or leave in a screaming baby. If it happens, y'all good. Yeah, so great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I just I totally see what you're saying. And that it seems like self-care, or at least the way it's practiced now, it's not an altogether bogus concept, but in a way, because capitalism gets hold of it, it just becomes one more impossible standard. And yeah, I think so. I mean, it's just, you know, like... Also, one thing that I think about a lot is, like, the the concept of, like, a fantasy self, that, like, you know, when we are... When we have all of these things together you know when every part of our life is working like then it's okay to like have self-compassion or take care of ourselves or whatever but you know it's like th this is like a really fucking challenging world and a really challenging time on earth in a really challenging society like chances are like at least one thing is going to be fucked up at all points right like or maybe that's just the human experience at all times forever but you know and also i mean like you know none of us is ever so conditions are fucked up and then we ourselves are fucked up too you know yeah we often do things that are self-defeating or seemingly against our own interests Coded those things routinely. It's why I love him in a way. Like I almost don't trust people who don't have like very strong self-destructive instincts. Not that we need to succumb to ours, but just it seems like in public we kind of pretend these things away and act as though we're not always constantly struggling with uh, to be our best self in in the like moral and ethical sense, even more so than like the Instagram sense, you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, like. Capitalism has always been really fucking rough, but I definitely think that there is an, an additional, like, very psychologically tormenting element, like, starting, you know, so, sometime probably in the, in the past, I don't know, 2013, 2014, where, like, especially if you're, like, a woman trying to make a name for yourself in some way or even just earn a living like you gotta kind of you're supposed to have like the style and like the very instagrammable girl boss thing and it's like dude 
I don't know, man. Comedians used to be able to look like slobs. Like, I don't... <laughs> you know, Bring now it it's like everyone, everyone is supposed to be, like, just r- really, you know, like, wealthy, super attractive, um, incredibly ambitious, like, emotionally healthy. And it's like, I don't know, man. So a lot of us, like, we're never going to have all of these things happening in our life in the exact same time. You know, like, if I'm working really hard, I'm probably honestly treating my body like shit in the meantime you know absolutely (laughs) right that's what it takes and you just kind of have to like I mean a month ago I was like should I bleach my teeth am I gonna be on camera a lot um just because you know women are held to that so much more than than men um like you feel like you have to be a certain kind of presentable to even have a public voice at all yeah I you know that that's kind of a side note, but I I definitely think that like to me one thing that came up when I was reading about your book was like the general concept of harm reduction. You're talking about like Poe uh, and his substance abuse issues, and like you know I think a lot of the time in this culture we are fed the notion that like you know anything related to substances you're either like a hundred percent sober and then you can take care of yourself or like you know if you're using drugs or alcohol like you know maybe even to an unhealthy extent like you don't like it's you know all is a lost cause you know and you're supposed to hit bottom and you know your friends and your family are supposed to let you hit bottom and like recently in the past couple of years I've, I've seen the dialogue around that start to change in a way that I think is like really useful because actually helping helping people out um you know finding ways to to reduce harm and you know just make things safer happier it actually really that is really important and ends up being way more useful in the process of like helping people deal with substance use issues and you know I was wondering like if that is something that comes up in in your book as well yeah absolutely I mean a lot of people know that Poe in some ways struggled with alcohol the interesting thing is like at this time in America from the historical perspective everyone in America who could have a drinking problem did uh I calculated uh, the 1830s were the hardest drinking decade in American history. The average person who could drink, right, we're speaking of white men basically, uh, was having five and a half drinks a day. Uh, and they it's did this in level. part. Yeah, comedian right, level. Yeah. 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 Um, so he would have fit right in. Um, anyway, in the context, Poe was not actually that heavy of a drinker. He was a guy who hated to hated the fallout of being publicly drunk like he was always trying to be dignified but he wasn't really girl um, relate yeah <laughs> right like he, he, a constant so when he drank he would get way too drunk and then he would write these apology letters that i love so much um anyway though and to your point about like a lot of critics and scholars and so on take this view of like Poe's life was ruined by alcohol. And my view of this, like reading it in the context of his incredibly sad life and losing everyone he ever loved, I'm like, the wonder is that he didn't drink more. (laughs) 
you know, like there were not healthy ways to cope with stress at the time. There wasn't like Brene Brown or yoga or, you know, better help or whatever it is. There was alcohol and like white knuckling through the pain. Um, Live, laugh, so, love. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I think he should get credit for not drinking even more than he did uh, rather than get dinged for the drinking he did too. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, you know, we have this idea a lot of the time that, like, alcohol is, you know, 100%, like, causing people's problems. And, you know, it, it's like, I mean, that's, like, people, like, with with regard to, like, unhoused folks, you know, people will be like, oh, you know, they're drinking. It's like, dude, if you didn't have a roof over your head, like, you'd be drinking too you do have a roof over your head and you still drink your problems are not you know your problems are are not as like probably uncomfortable as not having a fucking place to live you know but it's like we kind of like i think as a culture sort of ignore that like a lot of time if people are uh using substances in you know maybe in in a too much way like it it is it is serving a purpose that is probably important, you know? I'm totally with you. I mean, Poe's, one of Poe's best friends actually said this about Poe's drinking. He's like, the problem was not the vice. The problem was the underlying woe that caused the vice. Yeah. Yeah, and so that's it's very the, much in line with, like, the current thinking about addiction. You know, it's super prescient, you know? Yeah, and I, I mean, it goes back to, like, the political and sociological piece of this. Like, when people when the system isn't livable for so many and then you blame people for their coping mechanisms that they have some access to. It's just a sick situation. So, you know, probably the Poe, the story that like everybody had to read in elementary school, at least I did, didn't really, you know, fully enjoy um, is a, the Raven, right? Is it a story or a poem? It's a yeah. poem, yeah. It's a poem, yeah. So, yeah, that's what I thought. I was like, is that a... And then the short, there's the short story about the woman... The Telltale Heart, maybe, yeah. you're thinking? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, murdering your roommate, because who hasn't wanted to do that? Girl, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, how do, you, how do you think in, like, these really famous works, like, what connections can we see from, from his biography? Okay, so one of my favorite stories about the Raven, um, which Poe wrote expressly for the market. He was a genius in some senses at adapting to the marketplace. He made $9 for that poem, which is now, yes, like beloved the world over, taught in classrooms in Australia and Seattle and wherever else, like all parts in between. for a work of genius on that level, he got nine bucks. Oh, um, my God. Uh, the Telltale Heart, I think, speaks to... So we had this idea that Poe was a crazy person all the time. I don't think that's true. Like He's often been conflated with his character. So we think the insane narrator of A Telltale Heart is Poe talking about himself. But actually... 
there was a huge cultural preoccupation with madness at the time. In the same way that we're now we're start, starting to talk about mental health way more publicly than we used to, there was a kind of similar moment in Poe's era where even writers wanted to reform the way that um, the insane were treated because at the time they were like locked up in prisons and beaten. Um, anyway, at the time, like there was this interest in that. And so Poe was kind of playing with those ideas in a way that if we don't read it in the historical context, we wouldn't understand. So he wasn't crazy like his narrators. He had the same kind of interest in psychology that a lot of us do. And also I think like, it is a timeless story about wanting to murder your roommate. Yeah. I mean, for some reason it's, we're still on this thing as a culture where there's no difference in people's mind uh, between a a narrator of a fictional story or the subject of a fictional story and like the, the writer's biography. I mean, the most like annoying example in recent years has been like cat person. Like it was really, Oh, right. That was so fucking annoying to me. The like (laughs) people like just showing that they had like literally never heard of fiction before. You know what I mean? (laughs) Which like, I'm not trying to be like snobby or something, but it's like, yeah, uh, we're all experiencing like fiction in, in some ways, whether it's like TV movies, video games, books, whatever. But it was just, yeah, I definitely, that that does seem very annoying that that people could not sort of differentiate between him and his uh his characters because obviously there's at least some difference um so you know coming to like the end of our time here like i guess what was the thing that most surprised you in this the journey of, of writing this book like what's something that you weren't expecting to get out of it I think Poe had the world's first case of galaxy brain in a very literal way. That's so funny. What do you mean? Well, after his wife's death, and, you know, he loved her very, very much. They were very close. And he went kind of nuts for a year after her death. And then he gave this lecture that he called Eureka. So he put an ad in the paper about how he was going to explain the nature of the universe for 50 cents a pop. And then when people came to this lecture, he talked for three hours about the nature of physics and metaphysics and kind of sidelong compared himself to God. Um, And it was just a total freaking meltdown on the level of a Charlie Sheen or a a public meltdown like Britney Spears. And I say that admiring Britney Spears. Um, Anyway, yeah, so he had this total public meltdown where he said he understood exactly how the universe was created and uh, how it would end. And the way I, I see this is literal galaxy brain because he was speculating about the galaxy while also completely off the deep end in his own life and kind of like, you wonder at that moment, like how connected he was to reality. That is, that's funny that I, I never, uh, yeah, I've never thought about like literal galaxy brain, but no, it makes, Makes sense. Well, this is such a cool project, and um, to our listeners, I really hope that you check it out. Where can people find this book? 
basically anywhere books are sold, it'll be at Barnes and Noble. You can get it on target.com. Uh, my local bookshop fountain bookstore in Richmond is selling it. And of course it's on Amazon too. So I really appreciate folks, uh, checking it out and I hope they get a lot out of it. I hope it's a rewarding read that makes you feel at least a tiny bit better. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Kat. This has been a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you, Kate. Thank you so much for listening to Reply Guys. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Reply Guys, where we have a catalog of over 25 bonus interviews with renowned writers, journalists, and comedians, with an additional episode uploaded each week. The show is hosted by Kate Willett and me, Julia Clare. Our producer is Genevieve Garrity. Our theme song was performed by Emily Fremgen, who wrote the song with Kate Willett. Our artwork is by Adrian Lobel. If you want to find us on Twitter, we're at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's. And I'm at O Julia Tweets, O-H Julia Tweets. And Twitter is where you can, of course, also find our reply guys. They are always with us. Bernie, take us out. walking that ribbon of highway, I saw above me that endless skyway. I saw below me that golden valley. This land was made for you and me. This land is your land. This land is mine.